I can I can see the soul of another person through their dreams more so than what they're giving me, like just face to face, like um, like their dream is screaming all of these things that they're not, you know, like all of that feels more important to me um, than than to you know have a or establish a kind and uh, typical relationship with with a person. Welcome to another episode of What It's Like to Be You. I am Josh Lamont, your host. Today, my guest is Kristen Oberly. Kristen is a social self-prez, 911-963 trifix, so she's a Bermuda 9. And Kristen is an exceptionally talented dream analyst. She and her friends, our friends, Kaiza and Sammy, have a podcast now called Sinsomnia, where they are analyzing each other's dreams. And through that, they've actually discovered slash invented a new process that they're calling dream incubation that is a way of accessing your and working with your instinctual blind spot and it's very powerful their podcast i highly recommend it it's very personal it's very deep and it's a very good demonstration of why dream work and tapping into your unconscious via dream work is one of the fastest track most powerful most surprising ways of working with your blind spots and also just kind of finding the thing that is the most sensitive nerve in your psychic ecosystem and working with it. So very powerful. I've been on the receiving end of a dream analysis from Kristen and it was very amazing. You can check out her work on inkstoryrebel.com. That's her personal website. And you can check out her art as well as you can also book her for a dream analyst session. Uh, I strongly recommend it. One other thing to note about Kristen, she originally made a splash in our community because of her art. She created these visual depictions of each of the trifix combinations, and those are quite amazing as well. And she and David Gray are working on an extended trifix booklet that will feature some of those um, trifix illustrations. So be on the lookout for that as well. This episode is very interesting from the point of view of nine. Many people who are nines don't originally believe they're nines because they hear that nine is something called a body type and they more identify with their feelings or their intellect. Now, the way body type is used in the Enneagram is not necessarily intuitive. The type nine is the body type that is actually the least in touch with in their unconscious pattern, the body center, the sense of fully inhabiting myself. Kristen has struggled with something called depersonalization for a stretch of time, which is a way of living your life basically not really in your body. And she has, that's almost too light of a way to say it. It's a, it's sort of an extreme condition and she has better words for it. And she kind of paints the picture of it in a rich and textured way. But it's interesting from the point of view of thinking about type nine as a body type and what happens in the deep unconscious pattern of nine as you're sort of further and further dissociating from, from your lived experience. Something that I just find so fascinating about Kristen and this ep and what this interview reveals is that the your life force has its own kind of intelligence. It knows what is nourishing for it and it knows what it wants to bring itself back to existence. So Kristen struggling in a state of depersonalization for a while, the thing that kept drawing her back to life was her fascination with the unconscious and literally her own dream world. So we explore that a lot. Um, we also explore not a Kristen's Bermuda nine swirling around what is the, the, the form that my art will take. What's my personal expression of that. 
and we kind of compare her Bermuda 9 swirl with my Bermuda 3 swirl. So some interesting stuff there as well. Okay, before we get to the interview, I have a couple plugs. Number one, please check us out at the Enneagram School, theenneagramschool.com. We have a new class coming up that is an attachment type support group. My friend Alexandra Arroyo Acevedo and I are teaching this. It's an eight-week program. It starts August 22nd, and it's specifically and only for types three, six, and nine. And what we're really going to be focusing on is supporting each other in coming home to ourselves. So we're going to be exploring what is it that, what are the psychological mechanisms that mechanisms that underlie attachment types, self-betrayal, self-abandonment? What are the ways that we leave ourselves in the under the stated goal of or the unconscious goal of maintaining or creating a connection with other people or with some sort of value system that we're trying to live by and how do we come back to ourselves this is going to be not as much a pedagogical lecture class as much as it will be literally a support group so we're going to get to know each other we're going to just do a lot of personal sharing and a lot of witnessing of each other as we process the ways that we've left ourselves and come back home so please check that out. Once again, that class starts August 22nd, and it's going to meet for eight Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. More information is at theenneagramschool.com. Okay, without further ado, here is Kristen. One of the things that's funny about starting an interview with another Bermuda is that <laughs> two Bermudas coming together, I've used the phrase before, it's kind of like two Tempur-Pedic mattresses, um, sort of. <laughs> meeting and yeah. just wondering it's kind of like what form is this gonna take because normally i'm waiting for someone else to give me something to respond to mm -hmm. and i imagine as a remuda type you're the same yes <laughs> so, yeah yes essentially so here we are <laughs> um okay so i think an interesting place to start would be so just You've 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 made a splash recently in the in the Enneagram in our community mm. with DreamWork and with your artwork in the Trifix thing and um I can't maybe I, I can't think of a better way to ask this but like how's it going um how does it feel <laughs> <laughs> um a little weird I mean. I, I think that's kind of like um, before I knew I was a social type, like that's, I guess, where I was automatically going. Um, and mm -hmm. I thought like, oh, well, in order, I think one of my first thoughts was like, well, in order to um, have like anyone even respect me in this group, I have to get typed. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. That was kind of where my first thought went, like, oh, you know, I, I could I could track how certain people were taken seriously and could like, I guess, speak on certain subjects because they were officially typed. So it's like, okay, then like we we acknowledge your opinion. <laughs> um That's you know so what funny. you're talking about yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I thought, okay, yeah. I'll get typed. And then I mean, without even knowing yet, like about much about the instincts and stuff. Um, so I didn't realize I was doing this or whatever. But I mean, one of the things as to how I engage with groups and to even feel as if I'm valuable or um, seen or heard or whatever is that I have to offer something. And so 
it's it's not exactly that I only did the R2 offer. Like I was lurking on the group for a while and kind of like saying things here and there um, if I had questions or ideas or whatever. But I think the art was just kind of like I noticed a lot of people like, I don't know, it kind of seemed like an untapped market. <laughs> Uh-huh. And so I was like, oh, you know what? I I I can I think visually this is how I have been um taking in the Enneagram and I didn't realize that my way was different from other people's ways, I guess. Like some people don't think as visually as I do. So I had these thoughts of these characters like in my mind already as like they were being described when I was listening to podcasts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think what originally made me like draw them was a thought that was basically like, oh my gosh, I have to do this before someone thinks of it first. Like I have mm-hmm. to do it first or else someone else is going to think of it. Like it's that totally like not owning that this is like an original idea or anything i was just like i gotta quick do it before someone else does it <laughs> sure yeah yeah so it's offering i, I, I guess yeah yeah I, well it's funny i relate to that it feels like maybe you're three fix talking there too just like as soon as it's like i gotta get first to market or something like that <laughs> yeah um but yeah so there's a lot of themes interesting to pull out there just the social awareness of how what earns people respect in a group right and and then just doing that and um, we talked in our pre-interview chat about you lurking in groups mm-hmm. before you kind of get in there. And I wonder how long did you lurk for? And do you still relate to being a lurker in the group? Or do you feel <laughs> like now you're, well, like, what's, uh, how do you think of your um, place? Um, yeah, I mean... I I don't think I was a a lurker for that long. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's the other thing, too. When I'm really interested in something, like, I get immersed pretty quickly. So, I mean, one of the things, um, like, I only got into the group maybe, like, um, like, September or something around, like, 2021 or whatever. And then it took me about a little less than a year to just start posting the pictures and getting involved in everything. Um, But I also like, I haven't done this with any other group. I think there was a pretty big shift in my life, like a couple years ago. And then just like, you know, hyper shift within this past two years that um, I, I had been extremely withdrawn, um, like probably, you know, I was still tracking social, but like, almost super nine to the point where it's like I don't even really like see the value in me anywhere I guess so this group had kind of been like you know after sort of that phase of my life ending I'm trying to like be like I guess embody something different and not like this closed off withdrawn person that hardly goes outside or whatever (laughs) and um I think the group was like my first opportunity to kind of like, oh, hey, you know, here's an idea and or here's, you know, some art or whatever without even like, I guess, thinking it would go anywhere. Um, So I'm kind of still in a little bit of a shock that it did go anywhere (laughs) and people 
Like I, I talked to a lot of people now and the, you know, the dream thing happened. I wasn't even expecting that, you know, so it's, it is kind of just like, um, really cool because it's something I wasn't expecting at all, but also, um, I'm learning more of just how social I am because now I'm like, uh, very aware of, um, like how people may view me and whether it's like I'm, you know, liked or not liked or whatever. Like I've never put myself in a social situation to really be like, to know that I'm tracking that all the time. So now it's like, oh my God, I am tracking this all the time. <laughs> I'm very aware. So it's like, it's cool, but it's also like a lot of anxiety. So I've been kind of learning to um, work on that, catch that in myself, become more aware of it um, in a way I don't think I ever had before. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to put some anchor points in our conversation um, to, okay. well, to anchor to, and also to, because I think some of these will be reference points for us throughout this conversation. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you're full typing, your social self-pres 911963, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, some things that we talked about in our pre-interview conversation, like pretty much blew my mind. One is the misdiagnosis you had for so long which mm -hmm. was I, f I think i'm remembering this paranoid schizophrenia yes right and you and you were, were medicated for it for over eight years right and it's a misdiagnosis <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> okay so that's a huge deal so that's interesting um and also just to wade a little further into the darkness you had a period of depersonalization also yeah yeah um so I want to get into that, um, especially in the context of you being a body type and also the Bermuda swirl that we talked about and its relationship to those things. Mm -hmm. And so that's one category of conversation. Um, related, I think, is your tendencies towards withdrawing. And I love how you said, when I think it was one of the emails. Um, actually, I'll just pull up the quote. You said... Um, I'm able to quickly leave my body. The worlds I've created in life, even if it mirrors reality, feel better and safer than this world. Mm. Um, my misdiagnosis probably stemmed from this. I gave a lot of attention to these other worlds and it started blending with reality. So this way that you live in a kind of alternate dimension, which <laughs> yeah. I, imagine is, I imagine is populated with the dream world, Mm -hmm. shadow figures and things like that that somehow are um intertwined with um in some deep way with our actual quote-unquote reality um but you seem to live in this other one or in a blend between the two and so i just find that all very fascinating mm -hmm. yeah um so those are some of the anchor points um so as a way of getting there I think you've talked about this before in other places, so I don't want to spend too much time on just like your biography, but can you just talk mm -hmm. about um, the, the circumstances around your misdiagnosis? Mm -hmm. um, actually, what I was about to ask was your sort of life story and like dreams and stuff like that. But I think let's start with the misdiagnosis because I think that that's a really interesting entry point into understanding just who you are and the ways that you were experiencing yourself as different from your social milieu and as other people in your social milieu were experiencing you as different from them 
and the problem that got solved by the misdiagnosis mm -hmm. and these kinds of things. So that is a yeah, <laughs> that is a as a path forward in our conversation here. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So yeah, I think one of the things um, being a withdrawn type, being a nine, I was like, um, I was still am very imaginative. Um, like you know, my mom would always say like, "Oh, she's in her own little world," you know, like that kind of you know. Right energy um and so i've always taken an interest in storytelling you know lots of social self-press stuff storytelling tarot cards you know movies like uh cult cinema type movies like it's just you know um like that that has always kind of been my uh area of of like where i spent most of my energy which is also too i initially thought I was a head type because I'm just like constantly in my head. Um, but I think um, the misdiagnosis, like I, I kind of added that on of, of it could be that whole blending imagination and reality because like um, I was experiencing like um, hallucinations and like auditory and visual, mainly visual, but uh, it was what age, probably, what age were you? Yeah, I was going to say it was it was about like 12, 13. Um, mm -hmm. So a pretty typical time in people's lives where like, you know, hormones are changing and like um, lots of especially like young girls will experience depression and anxiety and stuff. And so it could be by a lot of biological or <laughs> uh, psychological um, things that that brought it on or, or whatever. Like it was just a very dark time in my life and it could be a stress response or whatever. But, um, I think being a Bermuda, um, you kind of are trying to, with the bird, the, with the Bermuda swirl, like you're trying to locate yourself. Um, and oftentimes you will do that to kind of anything, even, even if it's not you. Um, and at that time, uh, it was a lot of like people telling me something's wrong with me. Um, like, I, I think the mental health, like psychology and stuff was becoming more um, or coming more into my awareness at that time. Um, people were talking about it in school and and uh, people were mainly talking about depression and anxiety, which I also just didn't think I had or whatever. And anyway, my my parents knew nothing about psychology, so they couldn't really weigh in or, or they didn't have an opinion or anything. So I um, uh, it was a lot of stress. I ended up going to um, a counselor who then took me or or I guess um, suggested that I go to this woman who did uh, diagnoses and she um, did it the old fashioned way, like Rorschach tests and everything. Like uh, I got like two months worth of testing done and, and they gave mm -hmm. me paranoid schizophrenia. I was like 16. Um, do you have a, do you have a definition of it? Like the DSM or official, what, what's your understanding of what paranoid schizophrenia is and why you were diagnosed with it? Um, I don't have the definition in front of me, but I know I knew it as, you know, a 
basically chemical imbalance in your brain that that causes um people to have auditory or visual hallucinations, um, disorganized thoughts, um, or delusional thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when she gave me paranoid, it was like, a, a lot of my thoughts were incredibly strange at the time. Um, it was, and, and that's why, like, I actually have my files. Like I, I requested them at one point to, to even see what was going on and what she was writing down. And when I really think about it, like, you know, some of it was kind of um, scary, but a lot, a lot of it seemed pretty much like a really moody nine, like <laughs> just um, being upset about the world and withdrawing and, and stuff like that. Like it, um, I, I was, you know, at the time it was relieving because I had, I finally had something to locate me right. um, to say, he, like, here's where I am and this is what I'm experiencing. And I guess this is how I, like, this is what um, I need to do from now on is just cope with this. Um, and just to be clear, had you been, had you been living with a kind of unresolved tension about why am I different from the people around me? that then this yeah. diagnosis helped you resolve. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was um Yeah, I don't even really know like um who I was around that I was exactly comparing myself to, but it is that just like um the inner experience just it, it felt very overwhelming, I guess, and um why I say then things started blending maybe into reality is because of like, I was like seeing stuff and, and hearing things and just, you know, kind of going a little crazy, but I feel like the, the information I have now, like if I had given that to myself back in, you know, back when that was going on, I feel like I could have, like there could have been a different direction um, instead of having to, accept this diagnosis and then get put on like antipsychotics for eight years or however long. I think it was, it might've been longer than that. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it could have went a different way, but <laughs> it didn't. I, and that's why I think like, um, it was a way to locate, it was a label. I could, I could say, okay, this is me. This is what I have to deal with, whatever. Um, but like the entire time I, I like deep down knew like, no, this isn't right. Like I wouldn't, oftentimes I wouldn't bring it up to people. Um, mm -hmm. and then I got myself trapped because then of course, you know, I would say, Hey, I want, I think I want to get off my meds. I don't think this is right. And the doctors say, well, that's just a symptom of schizophrenia is you don't think you have it. And so it's like, oh shit. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, wow, that's real. That's a trap. Yeah. 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 Ultimate, ultimate trap there. So it was, um, I think it's, I, I wrote a, a little bit, I think in the one email, like it's just basically I betrayed all three of my centers, like for far too long is is just um by trying to stop the bermuda swirl <laughs> and locate myself like in a way that's just betraying all of me um and i had i have to like s i'm still slowly um i guess it, like realizing how much grief was in that i think yeah that's a pretty radical statement do you have language for 
and it's okay if you don't, but like <laughs> the betrayal at each center. Um, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think, well, and hopefully, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm completely mess it up, but just the first things that come to mind, um, like you said earlier with, at least in the body, um, I had depersonalization then for far too long. And I do believe it was from the medicine and, uh, additional add on some trauma and mix it all in. And <laughs> I had depersonalization for a very long time. Sure. Um, can can you say sorry just for people listening what is depersonalization uh, and also just the timing of it of everything so yeah and i'm also i want to just zoom out real quick just i'm giving you a bit of a break you said you were like 12 or 13 when this diagnosis happened right it's like <laughs> yeah i mean come on like you're 13 yeah so like at, at the, i guess my point <laughs> is is like uh, where my mind was going was well you could think of it as a betrayal of the mental sensor like i took someone else's orientation and just absorbed it as truth and didn't yeah. question it for later, but also you're 13 and that's what kids are doing. You know, they're kids well, right. Before, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's but true. also, um, but it is interesting to look at this just from a, from a personal journey point of view and sort of the, the way that this was such a clear anchor point of, well, actually, let me say it this way, like the, the diagnosis and then your, ultimate kind of taking ownership of actually no this isn't me and then getting off the meds and just that whole journey mm -hmm. um is a really vivid and clear example of self-remembering and coming home to yourself right and so um i'm curious about that that journey and <clears throat> i imagine dream work was a part of that yeah um yeah but let's just i just want to get like a time just what's the timing so you were like 12 13 got the diagnosis and yeah, you were off okay. meds around like 2021 and you also had depersonalization sort of in that. And can you also tell us what depersonalization is? Right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Di um, diagnosis happened at 16, but all the symptoms and stuff happened at 12, 13. So oh, I see. Um, okay. yeah, the diagnosis was at 16 and then um, I was put on antipsychotics up until I was like 24 five or 26 or something maybe wow. so like eight nine ten years whatever um so okay yeah also what's interesting about that is um i got off my medicine with without completely like denying the diagnosis i thought i'm gonna get off my medicine but i'm still gonna have this diagnosis um and i actually only like verbally <laughs> uh denied the diagnosis like a year ago um wow like i i think i spent a good year or so just trying to completely ignore that it even happened <laughs> that it all happened um and not just talk about it at all and then it was only maybe a year ago that i ended up saying like you know what i i don't have that i never did and um yeah so i'm <laughs> uh that time frame i don't know if that helps at all but it does and sorry how old are you now i am 28 about to be 29 so this is pretty fresh still yeah this is fresh still yep yeah um yeah so depersonalization started happening for me um maybe right around when i graduated college or maybe a bit before the symptoms started happening um 
and I had experienced it a bit before in like high school before I was even put on meds, which is why I kind of always argued like, am I having it from the meds or is this just a part of who I am? So depersonalization, um, nines have like dissociation. I mean, all the body types and that's why I don't think depersonalization is like specifically four or nine or whatever. I think anyone can experience it, but, um, it's basically when you are completely disconnected from your body that you don't even feel real. Like you look at your hands and it's like, well, these are not my hands and your voice freaks you out even more. It's, it's like uh, you're on like a really bad high, like all the time. <laughs> um, and, and I had it 24 seven, like all the time. And, um, it, it was very uncomfortable. Um, so I, again, also didn't think I was a body type because it was just like, I'm not even, I don't know my body. I don't even, oh. like, I'm not connected to it at all. Right. Cause you had mistyped as five, right? Yeah. 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 Um, or, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Right. So like the, it, it was just a complete disconnect and, um, that's why I kind of see that as, as like its own little betrayal is, is having to deal with that. But it's, and I, I do agree with you that it it is like, okay, I was 12, 13, you know, what, what do I know? Like how, how could I have known better or whatever? But even, so this went on for so long that it's like, why didn't at any point in time, I, I question it, you know, um, that it, that it went on for that long because especially like, for it to go on that long like if the depersonalization was from my medication i don't know because i could never get a straight answer from doctors or anything and depersonalization for a while every time i would try to research it was only ever um kind of discussed in in post-traumatic stress disorder and it was only ever like you know certain periods of time someone would experience it and I was experiencing it like chronically like all the time it wasn't just an hour or two of the day it was from when I woke up to when I fell asleep like it it was incredibly depressing um so I think a big part of coming back into my body and also like through dream work and stuff is like really going through all of the um, emotions and experiences I had throughout those years and being able to really reclaim them. Like there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of, um, like things that I should have responded to like in my body, but as a nine, it's like anything that's traumatic or upsetting. I just kind of like swallowed it and (laughs) like shoved it away somewhere. So like dream work has been a way for me to really actually let life impact me in the way that it should and that's actually one of the things I love about being a body type is that I can have things like impact me and really like resonate and um hit me I guess in in a whether it's negative or positive um so I definitely didn't let that happen or or I just couldn't physically for quite a long time wow and then when did when did the depersonalization resolve itself Right. So that's still to this day, like fizzling out. Um, oh, I see. So yeah. You're yeah. Still. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, not as frequent. It's not every day. It's not to the point where I'm like um, depressed about it. It's kind of uh, 
yeah, it's it's like I hardly notice it if it is happening, I guess. Um, some days are worse than others. I think it's like when I'm stressed out is when it becomes worse. Um, mm-hmm. But nowhere near where it used to be. And that may be the fizzling out part maybe happened about a year ago. So one thing that I'm thinking is that it just feels like there's think of just a spectrum of how in or out of your body you can be. Mm-hmm. And the the essential sort of um, gift of the nine is like being fully in, inhabiting myself, like being fully in in myself, in my body. And then on the opposite of that spectrum is what your experience of depersonalization is. Yeah. Um, just like a total having left myself. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I wonder, is it, this is just my own curiosity about the condition, but is it like when you're having uh, an episode of depersonalization, um, is there an emotional life that is still in you? Do you do you do you oh, feel yeah. the fear? Or is it? I imagine it's sort of terrifying in some way. This, but I'm curious. What's your actual experience of it? Like, do you have an emotional response yeah. when you're when you're in it? Um. Yeah. Like I can still, and that's the thing that was just so strange. Um. About it all is, um. Like anytime I'd research it and it was like mainly people with like PTSD, it was like a really big fear and like your body's just shutting down, you know. Um, For me, it was like I can still walk around and talk to people and laugh and and cry and everything like it it was just like this thing hanging over me. Like I just was almost... um, I don't know, like observing myself from like way somewhere else than like right here. I don't know how exactly it's just so it's like I've tried so many different like metaphors to describe what depersonalization feels like or or felt like, especially like from when I woke up to when I fell asleep. And um, I really could never get it just right because I think that's the thing is that it's just like it is like reality. It's just not quite right. It's it's extremely off-putting and so that's why it's um it's something I could still deal with but I think there were things that made it worse where I would really have to withdraw um so like if I was under a lot of stress and or you know social pressure whatever it may have been if I wasn't sleeping right or something like it would get to the point where it it was terrifying um and I think just disorienting kind of like I just you start to feel like uh, nothing is real. Nothing exists. Um, so like, why am I here? I guess. And it's just completely like existential. <laughs> um, right. So in those moments, I I would have to withdraw. Like I'd have to just, I don't know, like be by myself and, and just recenter and stuff. And, um, if I even could at the time, sometimes I couldn't. So yeah, it's very hard to explain, but you know, maybe one day I'd go back to trying to understand it more fully, but I mean, it's hard when there's not much out there even on it. Like there's, there's nothing anyone's really doing about it. I think maybe two years ago, I, I saw that there was some like research being done somewhere. Um, Mm-hmm. on like how to treat it but you know compared to everything else it it it's hardly talked about sure so in your just personal Kristen land yeah <laughs> what what has helped and what's um 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I tried a lot of things. Uh, I tried all different kinds of things. I mean, there were, um, times where I would try to get into like some kind of like physical, like waking my body up in some way, you know, like how, especially with nines, like, um, one of the things that they can do to, to feel more kind of like awake is, is by doing something more physical or, or whatever. Like, I think like I had a, um, a headband or something on my, or a rubber band on my wrist and I would just snap it just to kind of try and get me to feel anything. Um, but it, yeah, those things just never really worked. Um, I think honestly, the, the only thing that worked was trying to reduce any kind of stress or triggers that would make it worse, which was just very hard. And um, so, you know, sleeping regularly and stuff like that, but also just like trying not to fall down into the void of like this, this is like it. I, I think what made things worse is thinking that I was going to feel this way forever. So kind of keeping myself or my attention on other things, which is why inner work and dream work has been like life-saving for me. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, I can like, these things are important. I'm important. And I don't need to go down into the spiral of like, this is how I'm going to feel forever or something. If that makes sense. Do you have an example of a dream that you had that, helped you reconnect with your body or mm-hmm. heart or mind or something like that? Um, there have, yeah, there have been several. I think the biggest dreams that have really helped me reconnect with, you know, my centers and just especially my body and stuff have been the ones where um, when I'm interpreting them or thinking about them or talking about them, I get extremely like animated um like things start to connect and I'm just like on the floor in tears or I'm like I was really angry in the dream and it's actually this grief this immense like amount of grief Mm -hmm. um it's it's like I think letting the emotions in whichever dream and that's why like I specific ones you know um like they I think the common theme with all of the ones that have helped me because there just are so many that it's mainly like a really big emotion that I have just trapped somewhere um like the other day okay I'll give you an example because this one's kind of silly and so it won't get too depressing (laughs) um um, and I might I'll probably talk about this because this happened on the uh we were talking about self-preservation and how it shows up in dreams. And so we have been like plagued with self-preservation dreams now for like the past three weeks (laughs) from talking about it. And um, I had one where um, basically long story short, because I'm not going to explain all of it, but I experienced something in life where um, in like waking life that um, like as a social nine, I, I, I have a very hard time asking people for help um, or even just showing that I'm struggling. Uh, Like it's, I don't like, it's so unconscious that I don't even realize that I'm doing, like I'm not doing it, you know? 
Like, I think I have to have it figured out. I, and it's like either two, there's two paths. It's either I suffer in silence and don't tell anyone about it. And I just suffer or I like just withdraw and I don't even give someone the opportunity to see me suffering in silence or whatever. Um, so this was like very unconscious. Didn't even know that I had these like needs to talk about or whatever or express Mm -hmm. and ask for help. And someone saw it in me like, Hey, you need help right now. And I'm going to help you out without me bringing it up or like whatever. I was just, you know, completely withdrawn. This person said, you know, I'm going to help you. And it, it threw me off. Um, and I wasn't affected by it when, when I talked to this person or whatever, but I had a dream that night that was really big. And like <laughs> the first, um, part of it was like, I just walked into, my house and there was a guinea pig cage there and i i had guinea pigs throughout like my entire life um up until like 2 years ago so uh there you know i've been having this reoccurring theme in my dream of guinea pig cages and they're always like really dirty like i haven't cleaned them in forever and i walked past the cage and it was so filthy they had no food no water and like pretty much they were dying and I, I went down to them and, and I was like, basically, like, I remember writing like, oh, my God, I completely forgot that these things were here and they needed me. Um, and I hoped that they would forgive me. And like, when I started thinking about guinea pigs, like one of the stupid things that they do is that they'll squeal when they need something. Like, it's so obnoxious, but they like, I need food right now. And they'll just start screaming. Uh And when I had that thought of like, oh, they ask for help, essentially. um, Like, I just started bawling. It was at like three in the morning. I woke up and I just started crying because it's like, oh, my God, like, I don't do that. And I like every fiber of my being does not allow me to ask for help and even show anyone that I need anything. And here are these like stupid little potato figures like screaming when they want food. And it's it's just like, you know, it was just one of those things that it affected me so much um, that just connecting with that need um, and especially for a nine, just all the different needs and and things that I'm completely trying to push away. dreams have been a way for me to like for it to click for it to resonate I guess you know it just really strikes me that something in you knew uh, and maybe early on that uh, what's the right way to put this Um, it's like you just sort of ceased to exist in a physical reality (laughs) or you kind (laughs) of like you sort of like checked out of it you know um (laughs) but and so where you where you went something in you knew that you had to go to like the deepest part of your unconscious to find like the thread of your aliveness yeah and and it seems like like even in that story it's like a person like i'm imagine that actually happened right a person said Kristen, you need help right now and i'm gonna help you Mm -hmm. and that had almost no effect on you but then you went to sleep that night and the dream helps you process it and then when you woke up in the middle of the night you're like oh (laughs) like i get it it's like it's so interesting like the event the event of life just was like just it just it was like passing through a fog but then the unconscious world 
had this intensity for you that actually woke you up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's what like when I'm kind of still letting that impact me. I'm sure I'll have a dream about it tonight because <laughs> that's, that's actually like an extremely fascinating um, thing to think about, especially with nine being withdrawn my whole life, like kind of living in this weird other world um, imaginative kind of space that's just not this one. Um, I think the also with the thing with nines of just kind of like not being held correctly. So it's like I'm kind of um, existing in this other world that feels better and safer. And um, like, I don't I don't know if it has much to do with control. Like maybe it's easier for me to control or something. Uh, but yeah, it's like now I'm kind of able to connect with a more authentic like have more of an authentic relationship with that world instead of it just being complete fantasy you know so yeah that's extremely interesting and I'll probably be thinking about that for quite a while (laughs) you know it's it's almost like there are three worlds there's Mm -hmm. there's physical reality there's the dream world which are both quote-unquote real mm-hmm. and then there's this other place you go um when you're kind of checked out mm-hmm. or in a in a moment of dissociation or depersonalization or whatever yeah and that that's kind of like in my interview with xander he talked about toggling on and off of ex- of existing oh yeah yeah um, his his interview was extremely helpful for me even too just oh really it felt very similar of just experience like you're either exposed or you're not. And I think just constantly being affected by things, it's just so much easier to be in a place that kind of doesn't exist that I've created, which is why I said like, there is some kind of aspect of control there, obviously. Like I can control this like dissociated spot, but I think like, you know, in thinking about depersonalization and and all that other stuff, it's like, I'm, not in control like at all it was like it's just terrifying like i don't know yeah there are these strange spaces that um i've been to emotionally or psychologically that just are completely out of my control i think it's it's interesting you know this is kind of reminding me of um when i was like a lot younger like this was maybe like 10 or something I remember one of my biggest fears, like, because I think someone had asked me, like, you know, what's your biggest fear? Just one of those questions. And I think, like, I couldn't really think of anything. Um, But the one thing I thought of was I used to play The Sims a lot. Do you know that game? Of course, yeah. Right, okay. (laughs) And um, one of my biggest fears was, like, what if I wasn't in control of my body? Um. Like that would just terrified me thinking like I had no autonomy, essentially, that I would just be like walking through life, like witnessing myself, but not actually like controlling what I was doing, like picking things up and talking to people and stuff like, but I had to like force, I was forced to watch it. Um, I don't know, like why I would think about that at 10, but it's one of those things where um, I ended up kind of living that fear <laughs> of kind of like being in a body that I, 
I don't feel like I'm in in control of and and then kind of having to toggle these spaces of of what I can control, what I can't, how things impact me, how they don't um like finding a, a healthy relationship with both or or whatever. Yeah. If that made any sense, I don't know if that made sense. Where my mind's going is I'm just thinking about the your journey back to yourself. Yeah. And it feels like the the thing that the thing that did it was following your um that's the way I would put this. It's it's kind of like that thing in you that knew to go to your unconscious. Like mm-hmm. I think it seems to me that you are genuinely inspired by dreams and mm-hmm. the unconscious world. And even before the diagnosis, there was this fascination you held with a parallel reality yeah. that interfaced in some mysterious way with what most people were calling reality. Mm-hmm. But you were in touch with it. I'm, have you ever seen the movie or the, uh, the TV show Avatar, The Last Airbender? Yeah. <laughs> okay. First of all, it's fucking great. It's like one of my favorite shows <laughs> ever. It's a total masterpiece and I could talk for hours about it. I'll restrain myself. <laughs> Um, but it's, but so Aang, the main character is this, is, uh, this avatar. I really could actually go on here, but the point is, is that he like has, um, he has a connection to the spirit world and he, when he Mm. meditates, he enters the spirit world and his, it's Mm. like his soul leaves his body and he's there in a meditative state, but he's actually traversing the spirit world. And it's kind of like, which, which has some superimposition on top of the real world. It's kind of like you're that, you know, you're kind Mm -hmm. of going in between these two worlds, you know? Yeah. Um, right and i i actually like um when i was uh 12 13 and i was experiencing these things um and i did not know anything about psychology at that point mm-hmm. like i didn't even know therapists existed like it was people at school who would say hey i think you, or or friends or whatever would say like hey i think you need to get help like my parents had no idea but um the f- first thing i thought of was like oh i can see ghosts and and I could read minds and like all of this like kind of paranormal sort of things. And I started getting super into spirit worlds because I think I had like I had to do a project or something with with Native Americans for school. And I remember like getting so super into it because I'm like they had so many different names and, and explanations for the spirit world. And it's like, oh, that's where I, what I'm being exposed to. Um, and I still have fascination with that. That's why like dreams are kind of like, and, and the way that specifically Carl Jung taught it is just this synthesis of different ideas and, and metaphors and stuff like that of just spirit worlds and, um, anthropology and culture and mythology. Like it's just all of this shoved into one and into you essentially. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely can like that's that's where like my heart goes I think and so having the diagnosis and um having to deal with just doctors and and psychiatrists and stuff it was totally killing that part of me like things could no longer be 
spirit a spiritual experience it was a symptom of an illness um sure yeah so with with a lot of you know both enneagram stuff and inner work and also just with a lot of like jungian work it has made me kind of allowed me to have like a memory of like what i was going through and whatever and kind of be gentler on myself like um whatever I was experiencing doesn't need to have a label and doesn't need to be like a, a diagnosable, a diagnosable like issue. It was just, it's something that happened to me. Um, and it's a space that I can like the space then kind of transformed into a different space now. And I can explore that space, you know, if that makes any sense, but yeah, yeah it does. You know, it's kind of like if you had been born in a time where, we were living in a pre-modern society and there, you know, like tribal early tribal cultures had a reverence for the mystery of life. Right. And yeah. there was like, there was like the shaman or the medicine woman or something mm -hmm. in, in these tribes that had a connection with the, the spirits, the, the quote unquote mm -hmm. spirit world. And so I just wonder if you'd been born <laughs> centuries ago that you would have just been recognized as like, oh yeah, she's got a connection to, these, to this other world. I honestly like, especially <laughs> during the time, like when I realized like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be on my medicine. I used to say things like, you know, the government just doesn't want me to have my powers back. And like, <laughs> did not make a good <laughs> yeah, case you're not schizophrenic for me. <laughs> <laughs> like no matter what yeah. i said if it was like in in that kind of context like <laughs> no paranoia I'm... no paranoia <laughs> yep don't see anything here <laughs> yeah if, if i want to go into like you know i could have been a witch i could have been a shaman whatever like no nope, you're yeah. just fucking crazy that's where that's basically the corner I trapped myself in with that. But now I, it's like I, I got off my meds without even consulting my doctors because I, because of that reason. Like I I couldn't or anything I would say would just they'd be like, nope, you can't do that. So I, I got out um, on my own. I just stopped showing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have a, an idea to segue into a totally different territory here, but I want to get there really in, in a special way. So. Um, as a social nine, mm. um, I'm cheating a little bit just because I know what social nine is, but like, do you experience, <laughs> do you experience, actually, you kind of said this to me in our pre-interview chat, but, um, do you experience ever, um, <laughs> being uncomfortable saying things directly to people or having, um, having, uh, you know, being socially timid, um, around like using, your forcefulness or power or something like that um in a way that like be showing up in a way that would make people uncomfortable yeah so um there are i guess two different scenarios where the answer is yes and then one where the answer is no <laughs> um when it's um people that i'm i'm like I don't really know like so if it's like a, a doctor patient kind of thing like if I'm angry like I would I would typically express that anger to someone that I'm kind of like like I don't have a, a specific relationship with them like the on the social hierarchy like you know it's just, like our, our relationship is transactional 
Um, and I can, I'm able to kind of like speak up for myself or whatever. Um, it's just like, how conscious am I of the needs? I think like if I am conscious of the needs, I will speak up to, you know, about it. But if I'm not, I have like no idea what I'm even like bothered about and I won't speak it, you know, I won't speak up about it, I guess. But when it comes to, um, friendships or relationships, it, it takes a lot for me to be able to um like really i guess uh solidify my location like show where i'm at uh mainly because i feel like if i was to get angry um and and say like here's where i'm at and this is what i need it would just cause chaos and destruction like it would it would destroy things and um the I would become unlikable or like, like that kind of Bermuda like I need to be liked kind of thing um so like I can I can be pushy and and you know cause conflict and stuff when it's like especially when I'm feeling like I'm being misunderstood I can you know get someone to like I can get angry and, and get them to try and understand me or whatever but when it's something like here here's my need um and I can't like move from here on out. I can't adapt. Like it's almost kind of asking someone to adapt to me or something like that, or just no one adapts at all. <laughs> um, it feels like the end of the world. Like it feels like destruction. And so there have been times in my life where I have actually done that. Um, and it's led to some of the best decisions in my life. So uh, it's just very strange how that works out. But yeah, I think that's it's so situational to i think to answer that question but um yeah yeah that's a pretty interesting distinction you made around like if you're if it's quote unquote doctor patient relationship versus a friendship and that itself is a social distinction right mm -hmm. and so there's like a certain social situation in which you feel comfortable going or saying revealing your location or saying a thing that would make someone uncomfortable but in a in a situation where those the, the status isn't as clear and the relationship isn't as clear and you're the one who has habitually adapted more there's a lot more murkiness and it's harder for you to show up in that way yeah mm -hmm. yeah um and that all tracks and i actually relate to that a lot as a also a social bermuda type especially like as a coach you know i say things that people don't want to hear all the time as a coach mm -hmm. but in my friendships it's a lot harder. Um, and so <laughs> that's just part of the reality, I think, of being a social, a social media type. But the reason I asked that question was because, <clears throat> so I've experienced you on the receiving end of your dream shaman work. <laughs> and yeah. and um, so I had a dream that actually you were in. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we don't have to get into the whole dream and everything, but um, I was pretty struck by how you had like zero qualms about just like putting your finger on like the nerve, <laughs> you know, and just, being, like, <laughs> and just being like, this is what I'm seeing this thing. And you were like, you're like, you would, you would listen to my interpretation of my own dream and be like, actually, no, that because 
And then, you know, you're sort of educating me along the way, like you're you're interpreting the dream from the point of view of the dream ego. And the mm -hmm. dream ego is actually uh, not what you want to be listening to when you interpret a dream. It's just like there's there's something else to be to surface here. And right. so anyway, so there's these there. were. What I'm pointing to is the way that you just were like, actually, no, this is the thing you want to look at. And some of those things were really uncomfortable. You know, I mean, it's yeah. a dream and it's like it's surfacing aspects of your unconscious that are like super, super buried in there. And mm. they're not very pleasant to look at. You know, it's a painful experience oftentimes. Mm. And I just think about I like that's a very powerful thing to have. Uh, it's a it is a power. You know, you know what I mean? To mm -hmm. to be able to surface that and then reveal it and then put your finger on it and then to like hold someone's attention in a spot that has an exposed nerve and it is in contrast to what we think of stereotypically as social nine being nice you know <laughs> yeah i didn't think about that <laughs> yeah and mm -hmm. so i find that interesting it seems to me that like when you're in when you're in your world and we've used mm -hmm. the word world in a number of different ways here but what i mean is like when you're in your power when you're when you're using at least when i enter your world like when we're talking about dreams um, and it's like, this is your territory. You have a lot more comfort using your power and being really oh, okay. um, precise and you, you wield it, you know, you wield it comfortably, you wield it um, with a certain kind of mastery and mm. um, it's not demure, you know, it's mm. not, it's not shy, it's not withdrawn. And so I wonder if you could talk about that experience or is, is it news to you to, <laughs> to just that I'm saying this to you now? Um, it, it's news and kind of not news. Well, first off, thank you. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean a lot to me. Um, I think, uh, I knew I was pushy with dreams. Um, like that's definitely something I knew because I can tell how uncomfortable pe people get. <laughs> <laughs> um, um being nine body type social whatever um i can really feel when people get on like I, when i hit something they don't want me sure. to uncover <laughs> um so i i did know that there there was that element but like yeah there i i didn't really put it together mm. that it's it's kind of like a power uh, if anything i'm like oh i might be like stepping over a boundary here you know and um, so there's a risk of right. of how someone may see me, but it's almost like I, the material and the world and um, like I can I can see the soul of another person through their dreams more so than what they're giving me, like just face to face, like um, like their dream is screaming all of these things that they're not, you know. Mm -hmm. Like all of that feels more important to me um, than than to, you know, have a or establish a kind and uh, typical relationship with with a person. It's kind of like this. I, I guess maybe I'm hoping to to spark something in them. And so where I am, like, you know, personality wise, social wise, status wise, whatever, like it doesn't matter to me as much as it does to like get these people to hear themselves maybe. Um, and so if, if that kind of uh, threatens the relationship or, or someone doesn't understand me or 
uh, you know, they see it as con conflicting or something like that. Like I, I guess I just don't care as much then. Cause then it's like, okay, well then this isn't the work for you. And hmm. that's it. You know, so it's it's almost yeah. I kind of forget that I'm even really <laughs> um, typical Bermuda social time. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, that's pretty. I mean, it's like a moment of freedom from that. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I I think actually <clears throat> there's a certain way I relate. I mean, not in dream territory. It's not my expertise, but in mm -hmm. like in some coaching sessions, I. I also forget, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, I, I can, I can relate to the experience of just, I'm seeing something and they're not seeing it and now I'm naming it. And then I'm also, and then they're like trying to shake away from it. And I'm like, actually, no, we need to look at this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and then, you know, I mean, if enough, if there's enough resistance then I work with that too, but, but there's a certain way it's like, I don't, um, well, yeah, I'm just relating. It's, it's very interesting to me. The idea of like, these moments of it's a flow state, right? It's a kind of flow mm. state where, yeah, where the typical self-consciousness of your typology just is no longer exists for mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. So, um, so, something else I want to ask you about <laughs> is, um, so it's, it's probably fair to say that Type nine. So in David's in David's um, sundial view of the Enneagram, nine represents the kind of the noonday sun. It's kind of like the harmonious um, uh, sunbeam that that touches everything, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and and um, I like that. But also, what I experienced from you is <laughs> is a on the one hand like a social niceness and a kind of holding and just that mm. the feel the feeling of harmony, but also underneath that is a kind of dark cauldron-esque swirling <laughs> like witchy vibe <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and and so i wonder what it's like for, first of all do you feel accurately seen by that comment and um what's it like for you to square those two or do you do you think about it um yeah i i agree i mean like i've always seen myself as pretty dark and that's why like um a lot of the nines that i talk to will have just like extremely dark inner worlds <laughs> um mm -hmm. it's it's that whole kind of like anti-positive positive outlook thing sure um, yeah that makes total sense to me yeah yeah i think i i i i kind of like um maybe just visually and and just with the the things i'm interested in tend to be a lot more darker and i'm like like I just embrace that I think um mainly because I I like it speaks somewhere to me that matters a lot more than other things um I don't know not like other bright stuff because I'm, I'm sure there's tons of bright things that I'm interested in or, or exhibit or whatever um mm -hmm. but uh, what was the second question that you had um I don't know. Oh, uh, compared to the nine, like how sure. nine might look. Um, yeah, I think like the, I don't know really what to say about that. Cause like um, for me and my Enneagram journey, like I did not have much um, 
knowledge of the Enneagram like before I came to this group. Oh, I see. Um, okay. So it's it's almost like I I didn't have much of a understanding or judgment or anything on any of the types. Um, like if I remember, the only thing I didn't agree with with the nine was that the the whole conflict avoidance thing because I found myself with being a dark person. I'm also very angry, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, like I will cause conflict. I've and- actually, I'm so glad you bring this up. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt. I just want to make no, one point. Like in in online chats, <laughs> I've seen yeah. like <laughs> you can be you can bite. You know, like I've, <laughs> yeah. like I've seen it. It's and I yeah. find that interesting too. Yeah. So anyway, keep going. Yeah, I I um <clears throat> there there is like a a fighting aspect to me, and that's why when I um when I like first had the hit realization of like, Oh my God, I'm a nine. Then I, um, obviously my question was, okay, well then conflict avoidant must mean something else, you know, then it it has to be something else. Cause, mm-hmm. and I, I understood it in my like personal um, experience as I will cause conflict if it means that I can get to an inner place of h- harmony, essentially. Like, um, something feels out of line, someone's misunderstanding me, um, something like that. And so I will cause the conflict in order to get myself feeling at like, you know, being at another, at an equilibrium or so, you know, like I need to bring myself back down because this person or this situation is upsetting me. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's that to me is like. I guess the whole inner peace kind of thing, like nines always needing to, you know, needing peace or something is that I'm going to cause conflict because this person's disturbing my inner peace. <laughs> is that, is that true? I mean, I imagine there's some distinction. I brought up the online thing, which I've seen, but that's also a place without body. And I wonder yeah. if it's different when you're in the same room with someone. Yeah. Um, yeah, online, of course, it's a lot easier. Um, plus, too, I think I just have that whole, like, if a person's saying something that just, like, isn't, like, I don't agree with or mm-hmm. um, I can kind of catch them on something, you know, I, I'll I'll say it, but I'll still do it. Like, I think I do it in a nice kind of way at mm-hmm. first, but <laughs> it starts to derail at some point. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I think in person um i get kind of like the the bermuda swirl happens in person where i'll i'll sit and i'll start to feel the anger from something like something needs to be addressed something doesn't feel right and i will just kind of go back and forth on how do i feel about this person what should i do about it is it even worth doing anything about um like oh that's good yeah like i'm not in contact like initially of what the right thing is to do um so i just kind of go on this like weird spinning in in inside of of what to do and almost like observing every outcome that could possibly happen like if i did this it would go down this path and if i did that it would go down this path so like which one do i want to choose 
Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I want this person to see me after what I say and how I phrase it and all that yeah. stuff? And should I be considering this person and what they're going through? And so am I just like getting upset because of of something I'm not understanding? Like, you know, that whole thing. So in person, it's very still until I like even figure out what I'm supposed to do about it all. That's excellent. And it actually, it brings up an interesting point of contrast to you being a nine Bermuda and me being a three Bermuda. Like the way that my Bermuda swirl, we talked about this a little bit in our pre-interview chat, but like, let me just repeat some of the things you said so I get it. So your Bermuda swirl, it's like something arises in you like, like an anger or like a sense of like an impulse to do something in relation to like a person or a situation. Mm Mm-hmm. And in whether it's a split second or some a larger amount of time goes by, the Bermuda swirl is what takes that sol- solid impulse and then dissolves it into a fog. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's not clear anymore what you want to do and where if that was important to you at all. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that that feels to me like it has a really different quality from the way that I experienced Bermuda swirl. I mean, I relate to that and to some degree, but like, I'll just give you the example that I gave last time. So like my most recent Bermuda swirl <laughs> was <laughs> I was, um, you know, I have, I, uh, I've been really exploring like an issue around like scarcity with money. And, um, I had like a big scarcity, like a money scarcity, like scare, um, uh, about a month or so ago. And, so I have all these things that are going on in my life. I'm, I have like my coaching practice where I coach people and mostly like founders and executives and stuff. And then I'm also like building this Enneagram school and I have this podcast and I like, <laughs> would like to write a book. These are like the anchor points of my, at the very least, professional life. And mm. um, had this money scarcity thing happen. And then I was like sick in a hotel room in Phoenix because I was there for a friend's bachelor party. And then all of a sudden just was like, wait a minute, like, that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to, I need money now and I'm supposed to finish the project that I started 10 years ago around teaching people how to play piano online. And so I launched zero to piano.com. I wrote thousands of words for this, <laughs> literally in a fever, a feverish word sprint. I just produced all this content. And it's like the feeling, the Bermuda swirl is like, I forgot who I am. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's and it's from the point of view of image and identity, right? It's like, um, and I guess it started from the scarcity thing, but it, there's a sense of like, I'm the person that I'm being right now is not the person that I'm supposed to be, and I need and to be my full self to maximize my potential, whatever, I need to do this other thing, and it, and all of a sudden my entire life force gets focused into this project, and then four days later I wake up, and I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? Like I'm not. I'm not doing this. I'm not, this is not what I care about. I'm not doing this, you know? <laughs> and yeah. it was like a friend of mine woke me up with a really, a friend of mine who's an eight. He asked me, he was like, are you doing this because you just like need money? Or is this like, do you want this to be part of your legacy? And mm-hmm. I was just like, whoa, that question really hit me. Um, and it kind of brought me back home to who I am. But there's yeah. something really categorically different about that. Um, and the way you experienced your Bermuda swirl from a body place mm-hmm. versus an image place. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wrote because when you said that, um, it felt way more assertive than <laughs> my Bermuda's world. Right. Yeah, that it's it's just like you know, kind of action doing whatever. That for me, it, my swirls will will at least kind of take place more in a withdrawing. Like I don't know, like just a complete I don't know what I'm doing and what I'm supposed to do and and um, how I feel about this and and all that. Like it's. And and sometimes that has to do with action. Like, you know, I I mentioned before about like art that for me, art has been an entire Bermuda swirl <laughs> that it's like, I don't mm. know what exactly my style is. I don't know what I want to like, you know, hone in on really. Like I do everything. I've done so many different projects. I've done children's books. I've done comic books. I've done like portraits and like obscure fine art kind of shit like I've done kind of everything and and on on one hand that's very um like helpful because it's like wow I can kind of do a lot of these (laughs) I, I have like a you know jack of all trades whatever but again like it's just not um like well where am I just gonna kind of swirl around with all different art projects my whole life or am I gonna really dedicate myself to one thing mm-hmm. and allow that to like really be me even if it's like a theme or something so yeah yeah is there an angst about that like a does I somewhere in you a desire to pick a lane uh, <laughs> um I think so. I think there always has like there's especially going to art school and seeing everyone else in a lane. <laughs> Um, like I watch everyone else kind of have their thing and, and it's so distinct. Like you go in, in, you know, into a room and if it's one specific person's stuff, it's like, yep, that's that person's art. And some people have said, you know, you have a style, Kristen, but like, I don't see it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it is like, I think that's one of the first responses I had to finding out I was a Bermuda is like, I want to actually like hone in on something specific with art and I've noticed that majority of my art is like some kind of archetypal um otherworldly spirit realm kind of uh vibe and so I I kind of started these drawings of the trifixes were kind of my first like I'm gonna hone in on on this style and this type of art um and I think like it's a good enough thing that like it's it can cover so much material like mythology and that spirit world type of you know paranormal and um like those kinds of things and they're very social self-pres things (laughs) can um like I can do a lot with that but also still like that's that's what I'd want to do you know and or depict yeah what happens when you when you do that when you the image in my head is it's like it's like the swirls going in and then you sort of create a a pathway for it to channel itself in a particular direction Mm -hmm. yeah it i think for me it kind of feels relieving Mm -hmm. um because it is sort of like finding a location um and it also like it it makes me excited because it's like wow, why have I just spent all this time kind of doing this other shit that 
sort of didn't mean anything or whatever. Like, of course it meant something. Like I don't have regret. Like it was still building skill and um, experience and whatever, but it's kind of just like, um, I always, maybe this is too a Bermuda swirl thing, or maybe it's just me, but like, I always feel like I'm kind of a step or two or three behind everyone else because it Mm. takes a while for me to like really pick or choose my location or, or kind of like demand it to be somewhere. Right, Right. Um, so I think it it's kind of a relief, but also at the same time, like grief, like, wow, where was this my my whole life? Like I could have been way farther ahead right. if I had chosen this location years ago. You know, what's in my head about this conversation, I'm relating to what you're saying as a Bermuda type, but mm-hmm. I also, I've experienced before a, like if I try to, f- if I try to force myself into a lane, mm-hmm. um, then the swirl backlashes it has its own it has its own like intelligence in a certain way it's kind of like it's kind of like it knows it knows when it's like nope that's not quite right like (laughs) like chose wrong you chose the wrong lane um or or i didn't want to be contained just yet and you tried (laughs) Uh, you know that that kind of thing and i mean i've i've had i've written about this on my website but like i've had I've had dozens of episodes where for periods of days or weeks at a time, I thought I was supposed to be like a rapper or a, <laughs> like, or a jazz piano player or a politician or any, num- any number of these things where mm-hmm. I re- I mean, and, and if you talk to me in that moment, I was like, f- I was filled with a knowing just a certainty, <laughs> you know, like just th- that I'm supposed to do this. Yes. And I'd wake up later and be like, oh, no, that's not. <laughs> nope. Well, yeah. And yeah. Th- I've yeah. had that, too. I think that's why, yeah. like, with at least the art thing, it feels more solid to me. But I can absolutely relate to what you're saying. Like, there there have been so many times where, um, which and which is what sucks, too, because it's like I just don't have, like, the money or time for any of the things I, I've, like, thought I was going to be and actually this is fairly fresh that just within the past couple of months because I'm constantly in that swirl mode of just like Mm -hmm. because I don't have like a career I I work at a greenhouse it's a full-time job it's like you know anybody's job kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and those are the kinds of jobs I've always had and I've done art on the side um Mm -hmm. and I think it's the social thing too of like anytime someone would ask me you know, like, oh, what you're, what are you doing and stuff like, you know, I'm at a social event or something and I say, oh, I work at a greenhouse. I always have to say like, oh, but, you know, I do art on the side because everyone knows I have an art degree. And, and so it's like to me, I feel the pain of like, I just work at a greenhouse and I don't do anything with my degree, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I've been constantly swirling of like, I have to do something that like, says I'm established in some kind of way. Like I have this career and like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just within the past couple of months, it was a combination of a lot of dreams. Um, I do tarot readings and stuff. So it was a combination of that, a combination of some like kinesthetic work that I was doing and whatever that I just kind of hit this spot of like, I'm done. Like I'm done trying to swirl around like not being okay with where I am right now. Um, 
and it was just this weird resonance. And I know to some people that might like, you know, they have no idea what I'm talking about or something, but like to stop the swirl, like not even to just find a location to stop the swirl, but just to stop the swirl of being like, I'm like, I'm just not going to try to see myself anywhere I am other than right here, like was huge for me. Mm-hmm. And since and it was kind of a felt like knowing it was a, a deep inner knowing of just like whatever I am meant to do, um, I haven't encountered it yet. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's not anything that I've thought of within the past couple of months because within the past couple of months I was like, oh, I could be this, I could be that, I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of just let that happen, and it's almost like that's incredibly freeing like i feel like i'm actually enjoying the things i'm doing right now <laughs> like i i go to work and even though it's it's a greenhouse like i'm not throwing this weird like hidden layer of judgment on myself um mm-hmm. and when i'm doing art or i'm picking up projects or whatever it's not like an excuse like this is gonna get me somewhere someone someday or something like i'm just enjoying it i guess mm-hmm. um and and I didn't realize like that would be a way to stop the swirl too, of just like hey I don't I don't need to swirl whatever is going to happen will happen and I'll figure out when I need to figure it out. Yeah. Wow, that's a beautiful way to think of it, and I I couldn't agree more. Although it's you know it's it's interesting because um I think that for Bermuda types there's something really powerful about just well meeting yourself where you're at and yeah. allowing something to come through you, um, without trying to force it into any, or without trying to put a picture frame on it or trying to, um, have it be a choice, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. like to will it into a direction or something, but to let it unfold. Um, and it also strikes me that the, the need to choose in some kind of way is itself part of the Bermuda. It's like a tentacle of the swirl, you know, in Mm -hmm. some kind of way. Yeah. Anyway, so that's wonderful. It sounds like you've like been kind of dropping into a, a different kind of freedom around the just kind of what's the right way to put it? Not trying to contain the sort just like being just being with it and letting letting what wants to arise come through you. Yeah, I think it's it's like a I'm trying to be more curious and and less mm-hmm. like judgmental and less like controlling and um less swirly yeah it's it's just like a different relationship with just being curious about my life and just what I'm doing and enjoying what I'm doing and I think like putting more value on my inner world um Mm -hmm. because of just so many years of either feeling like I've betrayed it or um not even acknowledging it like I had nightmares for years like you know just because it was almost like my unconscious was incredibly pissed about where I was going. <laughs> um, yeah. And I yeah, didn't, uh-huh. yeah, I didn't listen to it. Um, so it's <laughs> like, I'm kind of spending, spending that time reestablishing that relationship and, and not yeah. putting so much of like the, the pressure on myself to have things figured out and just kind of trusting that process. Yeah. It's a lot. It's very freeing. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So I'm noticing the time, and um, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm wondering how you're feeling, and what this has been like for you, and if there's anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we mention. 
Um, yeah, no, this was very cool. Like, very fun for me. Um, I think, like, I, I don't often really get to hear or take in or be impacted by, like, other people's view on my life and I don't really talk about these things in in general like I I think we might have we might have talked about this on the um pre-call or whatever but like as a social type you kind of um want to present things in a way that is and I guess with Bermuda like that's comfortable for everyone um and it's kind of like I'm always taking the control over a conversation and how I'm having people perceive me and whatever. And this felt very like there's there's another um, thing that I can be impacted by. Like I, I value your opinion and insights on on my experience. And so I, I haven't thought of some of the things that you've brought up and I guarantee you I'll have a dream about it and I'll let you know. <laughs> Cool. Well, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. This is fun. Cool. Okay.